Hey guys, and welcome to the Because Maybe podcast. The podcast takes a look at all things 90s and answers some of the most important questions of the decade. Because maybe your life can be better, as long as you listen to the three weirdo spirits you encountered while unconscious. Uh, I'm your host, John Connolly. Thank you for whoever you are, wherever you are, for taking the time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Uh, this week, we've got a really, really good show for you. We look at a pair of games that are criminally underrated in Oddworld Abe Odyssey and Oddworld Abe Exodus. Uh, we have one or two things about the Movember Drive, and I talk about one of the most embarrassing moments in English football history. Uh, apologies for the state of the voice you'll hear at the beginning and the end. Um... I have a bit of a sore throat going on, and this is the best I can come up with, so um, I do apologize. Uh, the segment where I talk about uh, Oddworld, however, was recorded on Thanksgiving. So we're on Saturday night right now, we're going to release the episode on Sunday, Thanksgiving was Thursday. It gave me something to do while I was waiting for the turkey to be done. Sarah cooks a mean turkey, so angry my stomach has been a little, uh, but no, no I'm just kidding. Uh, she did a really, really good job once again this year, and you know, she is a dang good cook, and I'm so lucky to have that in my life. Especially seeing as I can burn water. Um, if you guys are on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, look up Because Maybe Pod. That's where you'll find us. Uh, we have a blog, becausemaybepodcast.wordpress.com. And we're on YouTube. Uh, check out our YouTube channel. We put a little bit of extra content up there. Um, I'm hoping in the next couple of days to uh, start a Let's Play of one of the games that I'm talking about this week. And again, you know, I'm just hoping that my voice goes uh, gets a little bit better so that I can do it. Um... If you guys have any ideas on how to push the podcast forward, uh, shoot me an email, because maybe podcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm looking forward for more ideas. I'm looking forward f- for more ways of how to do things. And, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at everything right now. And I can only go so far by myself. I need your feedback so that you can give me something that I can uh, latch on to and stuff that, you know, I can go ahead and work on. Um, also, and I'm going to talk about this at the bottom of the podcast, um... Just some more fundage for the Movember Drive. I want to talk a little bit more about that after everything's gone on and, you know, we're in a slightly better place in the show. Excuse me. Um, I'm also looking for some feedback from you guys as to what I can do for episodes that are not safe for work and not generally for all audiences. Um, I don't want to limit my content to anyone. I think I went a little bit over the top last time, especially when talking about Trainspotting. Uh, I still think that Trainspotting is one of my better episodes because of how much research and the knowledge of the subject that I had. But at the same time, I realize now that, you know, this and the Britpop episodes are not really what, you know, not what people are looking for necessarily, but I mean, you know, just trying to keep the interest level up, and I understand that doing uh, a big subject that not many people are interested in, and a big not safe for work project in the first couple of weeks is not really ideal, but you know, if you guys have any ideas on how to do that in the future, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing them, because, you know, Trainspotting was a very, very good show for me, in terms of research and development, and I enjoyed every second of it, but unfortunately, because of its content, I couldn't share it with as many people as I wanted to, and our numbers for that episode were a little bit on the low side, and, you know, it's just something I want to, I, I need help with uh, organizing in future, so, you know. Um, also, you have noticed that this is not Wednesday when we're dropping the podcast, it is Sunday. Um, I was planning on doing that originally um in the new year after the break that we were going to have but then i realized that with thanksgiving coming up it was going to be a couple of days before i got to do anything um one of the things about this is because i mentioned before i work a full-time job and this does take a while to write edit and produce and uh, one of the things that you know has always bothered me is man i should do all this on one day edit it one day and get it out the door and then I was, you know, doing that and then dropping it midweek and I was sitting on it for a couple of days. So, um, you know, I moved to Sunday because I think it would be more convenient for, for my production schedule. And to be honest, Wednesday's kind of an odd night anyway. If I release it on Sunday, you guys have something to drive to work with and listen to. You guys have something that uh, you can listen to on your way back from church if you go to church, from away from sports if you go to sports, etc., etc. And, you know, just something that is on a day where people have the time to sit and listen to, you know, for lack of a better term, extended radio show. Um, so that's why we've moved. Uh, we were going to make the move in the new year, but again, with Thanksgiving and the fact that last weekend was absolutely crazy. I mean, uh, the anointing uh, has gotten into WWE a lot lately, and last Saturday there was an event. Sunday was an event, and then Monday night, uh, me and her went to uh, watch WWE Live uh, in Bolger City, 
which is, you know, for people in Wales listening, it's the Neath to the Botalbot, you know, let you decide which one's better and which one's worse. But um, we had a lot of fun, and because of that, I didn't have the time to record anything. So, you know, I want to put on a good show, but again, family comes first, and spend time with the kid, um, you know, she's going to be leaving in the next, in the next year or so, because she's old enough and responsible, and I need to get her out of my house, uh, but, um, so with all that, you know, this episode, we were going to postpone it and put it out next Wednesday, but I decided, you know what, let's just do the Sunday schedule straight away, so, with everything else in mind, we're going to go ahead and jump straight into, uh, looking at two of the best games of all time, and I hope you guys enjoy it. Review Corner for Gamers this week on Review Corner, we take a look at a pair of video games that were kind of unique for their time. Not unique games, but definitely unique for the time period in which they were developed and released. Uh, these two games were released in the late 90s, which kind of makes them an oddity. They were released for Sony PlayStation, PC, and DOS, and we are talking about Oddworld, Abe's Odyssey, and Abe's Exodus. These two games are two of my personal favorites. Um, I think they deserve to be in the conversation of some of the best video games of all time, which we'll get to why here in, in a few minutes. But uh, needless to say, uh, Odyssey and Exodus were two games that were kind of very, very closely linked. Uh, it wasn't a sequel, so to speak. We, we'll get to that here in a minute. But uh, Odyssey was released in 1997 in September, while Exodus was released in 1999 in November. Uh, Odyssey sold between 2 and 3 million copies, while Exodus sold between 1 and 2 million copies. So around 5 million copies. Uh, and these games were side-scrolling puzzle games. So selling 5 million copies in the late 90s of these kind of games was unusual. It was very, very unusual because, you know, video game fans at the time had just started getting into more realistic and more violent and type of games. Uh, Grand Theft Auto had not long been released, for example. Uh, the Final Fantasy series was was blowing up. Uh, you had, you know, a lot of things that were, that were coming on through, and the idea of a platform game that you have to get to the next level solving puzzles just seemed a little... Uh, just seemed a little per se at the time. These games were kind of oddities, and, you know, we'll go into why here in a second. But uh, these games came about because Sony was looking to bring out more mascots for the PlayStation. Now, the PlayStation had been released for a couple of years at this point, and when Oddworld was in development, you know, they saw the character Abe as one of their new mascots, one of the mascots that Sony had to have to, boom, you know, here we are. They had Crash Bandicoot, but when you look at some of the other game systems out there, uh, Sega had Alex Arcade and Sonic, Nintendo had Mario and Donkey Kong, and Sony only had Crash Bandicoot. So they wanted someone else to kind of, you know, hey, look, this is, this is PlayStation, this is what we've got, here are the graphics we've got, isn't it great? And to help further that thing of this is our this is our guy this is what we want they packaged the game with uh, PlayStation ones on the old PlayStation demo discs. You see, kids, back in the day um, when we had demos, we didn't download them. The PlayStation couldn't hook up to the internet, so you'd get these little discs in magazines in in the PlayStation box itself. And these would kind of show you games that were in development and games that were moving forward. I remember Oddworld was definitely one of the games that I was interested in playing. And, you know, when it came out, I, I bought it, and I thought, wow, what a great game. And, you know, Sony did a good job of promoting this stuff. And, you know, the the company that made Oddworld kind of had a really, really big vision to what they wanted to accomplish. In the instruction manual that came with uh, Odyssey, it said that, you know, Oddworld Inhabitants, the company who made the game, they were looking to make a five-series game uh, with, you know with different characters and different points in the world. And they further along said that every game would have its own every game would have its own sequel, but that sequel wouldn't be part of the main series. So in essence they envisioned ten games. Now unfortunately only two of the uh, main series games were made. That was Abe's Odyssey and Munch's Odyssey, which I never played, I, I I'll I'll admit, but you know, that that apparently did really, really good as well. Um but it's it's one I haven't played, so I can't give you more about it. But uh, they also created two spin-off games, which is Abe's Exodus, which is another game that we're talking about today, and The Stranger's Wrath. And every time I see The Stranger's Wrath, the only thing I can think of is that god-awful Johnny Depp movie with the lizards and the anime, was it the, the Rango? Um, you know, that, that's what I see, even though it's, it's so hard trying not to be that. Because, again, I didn't find out. I thought that they made Abe's Odyssey, Abe's Exodus, Munch's Odyssey, then disappeared off the face of the earth. 
which in my mind was a shame because these were really, really good video game developers and really, really good games. So when we start looking at Odyssey, the production on the game started in 1995, and it took about two years to develop the game. That's build the engine, build the world, build the characters, so on and so forth. Uh, when the game was reviewed by the critics, and the critics loved this game, the critics thought it was fantastic, they immediately started work on Odyssey's sequel which would be Exodus. They not the uh, not the sequel to the the series but the spin-off which was happening. So every game was supposed to have every one of the original five games was supposed to have a spin-off and Exodus was that spin-off. Uh, but the problem was is that they had to cut a third of the game out of development because of no other reason than the Sony PlayStation used CDs at the time. CDs that hold up to I think it's like 700 megabytes of data. For comparison, I downloaded a couple of weeks ago the Elder Scrolls Online. That was 34 gigabytes. That would not fit on a CD either. So uh, <laughs> they were they were planning on basically having three races of animals. They were planning on having Scrabs, Paramites, and Meeches. All with their own abilities, all with their own culture and history. But unfortunately, they couldn't fit all three of them on the disc, so they dropped the Meeches. Now, they did put a little Easter egg of the Meeches in the opening sequence of the game, saying that now these animals were extinct, and that's kind of true, they were. An executive for GT, however, was not impressed with the game. Uh, this executive, he kind of... He wanted, the, he wanted games to be more modern and violent, and, you know, kind of the stuff like Grand Theft Auto, you know, and, and Doom, you know, more adult-oriented games. None of this cheeky platform puzzle games that, you know, we want some blood and guts and more adult-oriented games, and he tried to sabotage. And one of the things that he did was uh, he took a copy of a demo to the uh, boss of GT and was like, look at this crap that, that that they're making and the boss played it loved the game so much he immediately extended the deadline and upped the budget on the game so uh you know you know that that was that was almost really really bad for the game they, they tried to sabotage it and it just wouldn't work um sabotage aside development was kind of smooth for the game you know you take away the uh, the, the potential sabotage and the fact that you had to cut a third race out of the you know, out of the game Okay, fair enough, those might have been problems, but the rest of it went along really, really, really smoothly. Which, for a 1995-1997 video game, you know, smooth development on a relatively new system was pretty, you know, pretty rare at the time. I mean, you know, technology wasn't as great back then as it is now. I mean, now we take for granted, you know, that we have in our pockets a computer with more power in it than what they used to go to the moon. But back then, you know, computers weren't... If somebody had a 100 gigabyte hard drive, they had a big computer. Now, 100 gigabytes won't even store Windows. You know, the computer I'm recording on now has got a uh, solid-state hard drive with 100 gigabytes on there, and I can barely put Windows on that, you know? So, so technology wasn't as developed back then, and the fact that they had no problems was astounding, which is very rare, very rare. Uh, the only problems for the development with Exodus was the crunch time of developing the game. I mean... Literally, Exodus took nine months to develop. Now, the good thing was, uh, while Exodus was a spin-off and a sequel, because the gameplay was very, very similar, the engine was built, the characters were built, the graphics were built, all they had to do was program the story, program, you know, the, the, the plot points and so on and so forth. So, in my opinion, Exodus is not necessarily a game itself, Although, it, I mean, it is a separate game, but um, in my opinion, it's more like an expansion of the first one, rather than its own unique game. So, Exodus is a spin-off or a sequel to Odyssey, but in the main Oddworld series that we spoke about earlier, the five games, you know, it's not considered part of that, but it is considered canon. So, you know, I, I don't know how really you would call that. It's kind of like, you know, when you, you have a family tree that branches off. All the events in Exodus take place, they take place in the world, but it's not link to the main series so uh let's talk about the plots for both games real quick let's let's look at odyssey uh, odyssey basically put you play as abe a mudokan slave at rupture farms a meat processing plant uh you discover that your bosses are planning on killing you and your brethren to make a brand new meat product you have to save 99 of your fellow mudokans from disaster 
while discovering your destiny as the chosen one. And you go to different areas of the world to figure all that stuff out. Exodus is kind of the same way. Following on from Abe's success at Rupture Farms, he's visited by three spirit weirdos, asking him to, to close down the mining facilities at Necro Miles in Mudokan Burial Ground and halt the production of Soulstorm Brew. Uh, using the same techniques that helped him at Rupture Farms, Abe crosses the desert, braves the mines, the surrounding jungle, and discovers the truth about him and his people. Uh... That's basically it in a nutshell. I could go on and on and on, but really the plot is so good. That's one thing I love about this game is its plot. Uh, you know, you have to go see for see it for yourself. The game itself, layout of the game, it's a platform game, and it's not 3D, but it's not 2D, so it's like 2.5D. Um, now, it's separated into individual screens, okay? So you move left or right, and it gives you to another screen, obviously. Uh, sometimes the actions follow you from screen to screen. Sometimes they don't. So, but you have to complete the set of screens to get to the next objective and the next goal. The only objective that you really have is save fellow Mudokans, you know, and we'll get to how you do that here in a little bit. Uh, the game, there are no maps in this game, aside from uh, at the beginning of later levels. There are no menus in this game. So, you know, there's you don't have an inventory. You don't have a diary. You don't have a journal. You don't even have a progress marker. All you have is your wits and, you know, your knowledge. The game is very, very linear, except for a handful of things. You can do those handful of things in any, in either order that you want to, but you have to do all of them. So, for example, in Oddworld, uh, you get to do uh, a scene called Paramonia or Scribania. You don't have to do them in any particular order to move forward, but before you move forward, you have to complete them both. So it doesn't matter which order you do them in as long as you complete them both. This game is a one-player game, and you play as Abe, a Mudokan hero. Again, no power-ups. You only have your wits and your uh, your your own kind of abilities, and we, we'll get to that here in a second. Basically, he's it's a very, very basic character when you think about it, you know, but um, he can jump straight up and jump across distances. Uh, he can execute forward rolls to run under barriers. He can run, and he can sneak. Now, I know those sound like very, very basic abilities, but... Part of the charm is to figure out how to complete that particular screen while jumping, while sneaking, while running. Uh, Abe does have an ability called Game Speak. So you press a combination of buttons and he can give NPCs a command. So like, for example, he'll say, hello, follow me, wait, work, hi there, everybody, you know, just, just basic stuff. But when you tell a group of Mudokans to follow you, they'll follow you. If you tell them to wait, they'll wait. You tell them to work, and so on and so forth. Uh, sometimes there's nonsense in there, like fart noises, whistles, bleh, you know. Uh, <laughs> bleh, that's a good one. Um, but um, another ability that Mudokans have is possession. Now, you press L1 and L2 on the remote, and you'll start chanting. And when you chant... You either open up bird portals, which allow Madokans to escape, or you possess any of the sentient creatures that are around you. Now, in Odyssey, you could only control the uh, slags. In Exodus, you can control all creatures, or all sentient creatures, I should say. Weak sentient creatures in Exodus would explode once you release them. So, for example, if you possessed a paramite, and I'll get to what a paramite is here in a minute, you possess a paramite. And he, once you release him from it, he will be back to being alive in a paramite. You possess a slig or a glucken, and they will immediately blow up once you, you know, they'll die immediately once you, uh, I guess, depossess them. So who are these NPCs who, you know, who Abe is in command of the whole time? Well, we talk about, let's look at some of the enemies first. Let's look at sligs. Uh, sligs are kind of... They have tentacles grown out of their mouths, you know, they're, they're wise guys, and they're your most frequent enemies. Uh, they have mechanical legs, so you can kind of hear them coming. Uh, they can't see in shadows, which kind of helps you. Abe can just sneak, stand still in the shadow, and they'll get walked past, you know, like they're not there. Uh, however, if he does see Abe, he will shoot him on sight. No negotiation, nothing. It's just as soon as you see him, bang, shoot him. Uh, in Oddworld, these are the only characters that can be possessed, and they will die at the end of a possession. Like Abe, they have their own game speak ability. Again, it's high, look out, 
you know, just, just some nonsense, and you use this to get past certain uh, gates. You also can control slags to uh, eliminate other slags in areas so that Abe can uh, navigate them freely, especially if he's got a small party with him. Uh, slags are usually followed by slogs. They're like dog-like creatures. They can't be controlled by anybody, and they will attack Abe on sight. And they, in fact, will chase Abe across multiple screens. So this is one of these times where, you know, it doesn't matter where you are on the screen, they will follow you completely. You have scrabs, which are giant crab-like creatures. Uh, they're on four legs, and they just look like a cross between a horse and a crab, for lack of a better term. They have this big, elongated mouth and let out a shriek. And, again, they will attack Abe on sight. Uh, they're very, very territorial, and so that means they will attack anything on sight, including other scrabs. So if you have two scrabs together, they will initiate a fight. Again, this can be handy in some areas of the game, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, you have the Scrab's counterparts, the Paramites. These are giant bug-like creatures. They have what looks like a hand coming out of their mouth, you know, to, 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 to talk. Uh, they are a highly intelligent creature, and they will move in packs. And they won't attack Abe necessarily the first time they see him, but if they're in a pack or Abe corners them, then they will start chasing him and trying to attack him. They can be distracted by meat, or they can be distracted by rocks thrown by Abe. But again, you know, they, they, they're, they're a good, good enemy and very, very difficult if you get cornered by some. You have Elam. That's Abe's mount. Uh, kind of operates like Yoshi did in the original Mario series. It can run a little faster, jump a little further. But uh, they are distracted by honey. Uh, in the level where levels where Elam is, you know, there are small honey pots and you have to distract him to get him away from the honey. Uh, he can be killed by either mistiming a jump or being attacked by bees. Uh, there's a few beehives in the game. If you break it, the, uh, the bees will, will basically attack everything on sight and they can kill you. Uh, bats are also in the game. Nothing, nothing really big, but... Uh, you bounce off a bat, a bat is basically immovable, and so if they bump into you, they will take your space. So if you're hanging by a ledge and a bat hits you, you'll fall. Uh, you have Slave Mudokans. These are the, uh, the, basically, these are the goals of the game. You have to save Slave Mudokans. They can be interacted with, you know, with the game speak, and you have to lead them to bird portals to escape, which you open through possession. Uh, you have Native Mudokans. There's a, sm there's a small tribe in this game, and they can be interacted too, but they are territorial as well. Uh, they're very, very peaceful, and they'll give you a warning. They'll tell you to halt. They'll uh, enact a GameSpeak password, and then it's up to you to repeat the password, and they'll let you through. Now, if you get the password wrong, nothing will happen, but if you keep walking towards them, they will attack you. They'll attack you with a slingshot. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, again, primitive. Very, very primitive. Uh, then you have Skryskull, which is the Mudokan god that Abe transforms into after completing Scribania and Paramonia. Uh, that's basically you turn into this this cross between a Scribe, a Paramite, and a Mudokan, and you can basically destroy whole enemies and areas just by a simple shout. Uh, then you have the Big Face. The Big Face is an NPC who appears in a lot of the cutscenes, and he's a Mudokan shaman. And basically, he's the one who points Abe on his quest. He's kind of, you know, the the pointer. You know, wind Abe up, point him in a direction. That's what Big Face does. Big Face is a very, very uh, funny character, but he also helps Abe with his um, transformation into Skryskull. We've looked at Odyssey. Let's look at Exodus real quick. Exodus has got a lot of the same characters in there. So we've got Slags and Slogs. Uh, Slags come now with a flying ability, and the ability to snipe from the top level down to the bottom level. Whereas slogs have a small offshoot called sloggies. The slogs in this game also can be controlled by slags, which is, you know, a master and his hound, for lack of a better term. Uh, scribes and paramites can now be possessed and have their own game speak ability. So you can control a scrab, kill everybody in the territory, then, you know, cut back to Abe and, you know, handle everything yourself. Paramites are a little bit more uh, ingenious, as they have their own game speak ability, so you can command them like you can command Mudokans. So, for example, you can go to a Paramite, have him say hello to a group of Paramites, then you jump through the screen, you know, so... It's really, really good they did that. You can now herd your own, uh, herd, herd your own pack. Uh, you have Slave Mudokans. Like in Odyssey, uh, they, they're pretty much the same way you have to command them to move forward. They do have a few more extra abilities, like the work function. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's, we'll get to that here in a few more minutes, because there are a few, uh, different things that they can do in this game that they couldn't do in Odyssey. 
you have the first named Mudokan, aside from Abe, called Alf. Alf became one of the more popular characters in the Oddworld universe. Um, he, I think, is second in popularity to Abe. And he had his own spin-off game in the remake, which we'll get to here in a little while. Uh, you can actually control Gluckens in this game. Gluckens were introduced in Odyssey, but you couldn't play them. And in fact, there were no Gluckens on screen outside of cutscenes. In this game, you can actually play as them, control them. Uh, you can control Sligs. And, you know, you can control Slogs with these guys. I mean, these guys have no arms. So they'll call for someone to kill you when you were seen. Uh, they're just basically an elongated body with giant legs. Uh, like the Mudokans, they actually have four named Gluckans in this game. Uh, Vice President Eslig, General Drepig, Director Flag, and the Brewmaster. You have Fleeches that are worm-like creatures that will basically attack any creature on sight. They are scared of Scrabs, but aside from that, they will attack and eat someone. I think you've got like eight hits before you, you basically die. And it's very, very, very difficult levels with these guys on. And they'll eat anything. Uh, paramites, slogs, slags. As long as they can get to them, they, they'll try and eat them. Uh, you have slurgs, which are little worm-like creatures, which if you step on, the fleeches will attack. Uh, Scryskull makes his return and adds an extra ability of healing in this game. So, you know, you turn into the god that's even godier, for lack of a better term. Uh, and then you have the three weirdos who appear in cutscenes. These acted the same way the Big Fist did in the first game, so they're there to guide Abe through his um, trials and tribulations, so to speak. And they're the elders of the Mudomo and the Mudenshi tribes. So let's have a look at some of the levels and locations. Uh, both games have their own different levels. You don't go back to anything that's in the original games. Um, so in Odyssey, there are six different zones. You start off in Rupture Farms, which is kind of an industrial area where you will save Mudokans and fight off slags and complete puzzles and try and get out of the way of meat and saws and stuff like that. You have the Stockyard, which is basically um, an outdoor area where uh, you're being patrolled by slags. There are some scrabs in there and you have to kind of sneak your way in and out. There's the Free Fire Zone, which is basically a no-man's land, where, you know, people will hunt you on sight. Uh, it's outdoors, you have to sneak by, it's more stealthy. Then you get to the Mudokan Tribal Grounds, which is um, kind of... Uh, I don't know what the best way is, like a lobby area, I guess. You go through there to go to either Paramonia or Scribania. And those two are wild levels. Uh, they're both basically essentially the same. Uh, not, the, not the same level type, but you go through Paramonia Wilds, then you go to the Paramonian Temple. And the temple, you have like 10 different doors that you have to go through and complete every single one before you go to the temple to do the trial. Now, it's the same thing in Scribania too, except obviously one has Paramites, one has Scribes. In Exodus, there are more areas which are kind of which are bigger than what they were in Odyssey. Because, I mean, Odyssey came on one disc, whereas Exodus had two discs. So, you know, it was a very, very bigger game. Uh, you start out in Necrom Mines, which kind of, you know, again, kind of replicates the feel of Rupture Farms. Uh, then you go to Necrom Burial Grounds, which is like a jungle area. Again, more like a lobby than anything else. Uh, you go into the Medanchi Vaults, which is a scrab-infested area. And kind of like in the in the Scribanian Temple, in the Paramonian Temple, you have to go and complete every single room to move forward, you know, so on and so forth. So you get the Medanshi and the Mudomo Vaults. Again, one is heavily infested with Scrabs, the other heavily infested with Paramites. Then you go to the Fico Depot. Again, this is another lobby type area, but this time you have to go through this area several times. And what you do here is you have to complete the, the area, then you pick a level which you want to go to. You can either go to the Slig Barracks, the Boneworks, or the Executive Offices. And once you complete those levels, then you jump forward to go to Soulstorm Brewery, which is the main end level of the game. Interesting Easter egg, obviously. They have a uh, link to Rupture Farms, but you can't go there because in, in the game, Abe destroys Rupture Farms. Spoiler alert. Abe is supposed to destroy Rupture Farms, and you can't go there because obviously it doesn't exist anymore. But um, a lot of these locations, too, also have uh, hidden levels. And hidden levels really, really ticked me off in this game. Because the first time I played it, I didn't save as many as I needed to. Because I couldn't find, you know, if they're not in plain sight, I didn't go looking for them. 
and we'll talk to that here in a minute. The game is, again, the game is a traditional side-scrolling, so you go from left to right, right to left, up to down, so on and so forth. Uh, to save Mudarkins, you have to save them, talk to them, and march them towards portals, or just send them to portals. Uh, the object is to save 99 in Odyssey, because there's only 100 people working there, you included, and there are 300 you have to save in Exodus, spread out across the whole game. Uh, there are two endings in each game. So if you save, uh, for example, in Odyssey, if you save more than 50, or in Exodus, more than 151, you get the good ending. But if you save less than 49 or 150, you'll get the bad ending. Uh, the good ending is considered the canon, the bad ending is you haven't done enough game over. Which is, which was frustrating the first time I played it, because a lot of the Mudokans are in hidden areas. So if you just go on what you see, you're not going to hit 49 or 150. You're just barely going to scrape, you know, th that that number, and it's going to be frustrating because you've done all this work and you didn't go hunting for, for, for you know, for hidden areas. And the hidden areas are, are not hard, so to speak. I mean, they're harder than, than your average area, but at the same time, their difficulty scales with, with the rest of the game. You know, at the beginning, they're, they're easy, and to the end, they're, they're, they're harder. Um, you do have to possess some other creatures to make it past certain areas because, you know, the, the whole point is you have to take over a slig to go through a passcode or destroy a uh, bunch of slugs coming your way or to destroy, you know, uh, a, a gluckin or two, so on and so forth. Uh, so to accomplish this, you have infinite lives. So that's one thing I do like about this game. It's, it's, it's you know, you die, you don't necessarily have to, uh, you don't have three lives and it's over. Uh... It does have a trial and error concept, so, you know, you mess up the first time, right, what did I do different, what can I do different, I'll do it this time. Uh, the only problem was is that Odyssey didn't have a quick save feature. Now, it did have a hidden checkpoint, so once you got to a certain area, if you died, you'd go back to a certain, you know, hidden checkpoint. But there was no quick save feature, which was um, added in Exodus, so it had both. But that was one of the downsides, I think, you know, because no, no quick save feature in Odyssey... It was a hard game, and if you couldn't go forward without going back five screens, you know, it was it was, it was was a pain. In Exodus, uh, one of the things they introduced was emotions for Madokans. So you didn't have to go talk to a Madokan to find out how they were feeling, you could just look at them. So if a Madokan was natural green, they were neutral, they would do anything you asked them to do. If they were bright green, they were drunk and sick, so they wouldn't do anything. You say hello to them and they go, oh, you know, very, very hungover. Uh, if they had a reddish tint, they were angry, meaning that uh, you couldn't get them to do anything until you told them sorry. Uh, if they were dark blue, they were depressed, and again, you had to tell them sorry. If you attacked them, they would kill themselves. If you said hi, they wouldn't, they would no. Uh, if you saw a, a, like a light gray or a very, very light blue, they were blind. So they'd listen to every command that you told them, but they'd walk into sores off down holes if you didn't tell them to wait, stop, hang on, you know, so on and so forth. Those levels in Exodus were some of my favorites because, you know, just trying to get them through. Uh, then if they were yellow or green, they were more hysterical. So they'd gone through some laughing gas and they were just laughing and you had to slap them to calm them down. Kind of like what you do when somebody's hysterical now. Uh, depressed Madokans would commit suicide. Angry Madokans would kill others if not, uh, you know, if not checked. Hysterical Mudokans wouldn't listen or sneak, which was a pain in the backside when you were trying to, you know, contemplate some levels. And drunken sick Mudokans would do nothing unless you queued them, which is one of the abilities of the Scry Skull in the Exodus game. The Mount Elam is not in the second game, which I I can understand why, but at the same time it sucks because Elam was a very, very funny character. Um and in both screens there wasn't a heads-up display or stat screen. Instead, there was tip screens made by LED signs, and occasionally large message boards that told you, you've saved this many, you've killed this many, here's how many more you've got to save, and here's how many more are in this area for you to find. Uh, you can also find out information by possessing fireflies, who, when you possess them, will spell out, you know, jump, here, don't, look, down, and so on and so forth. That was a great way of doing things that add in countless hours of voice work and also without taking you out of the game. I mean, the game is very, it's, it's more stealthy in a lot of areas. So like, you know, just, just, what do I do? Instead of having a disembodied voice, it's like, here's the fireflies. They'll tell you what to do. 
Um, the game itself, difficulty is... Its default difficulty is hard. There's no other way to, to, to go about it. It's a one-level game, and they made it hard. And there's no way to change it, but it can get really, really frustrating, because if you die on the same level five times in a row, or die on the same screen five times in a row, it does get frustrating. You don't really want to... Um, to do it again and again and again and again without going, well, fuck it. And, and you know, just just giving up, rage quitting. Uh, and the trial and error system, the good thing about it was is that you could figure out how to complete different levels. The bad thing about it was is that it could take five or six different attempts to get it right the first time, and then you haven't hit the, the checkpoint yet, so when you die, you have to come do it again. Uh, there's no dedicated soundtrack in this movie. I mean, it, there is some music, but it's more ambient sound, and it does have some, you know, some different, uh, different varieties. There are some, you know, some chase music going on, but at the same time, you know, it's very, very understated, and it kind of messes with your mood. You know, whenever that, that run music happens, you, you get a heightened sense of, uh-oh, I have to run. They played it very, very good. It's a very, very psychological and cerebral, uh, soundtrack it's not overbearing it doesn't dominate the, uh, the the screen that you're on it's just it's subtle and and i think it, it's fantastic i mean both games had it you know so i mean they, they did something absolutely fantastic with it uh, upon release both games received damn near universal praise uh the gameplay the plot uh you know the, were some of the highlights the fact that it was fresh considering what was going on in video game world at the time you know was was great I mean, again, this was an oddity for the type of game that it was, and the fact that it was being released when it was released and it came out to such high praise was, you know, was fantastic. I mean, again, not all of us love shoot-em-ups. Not all of us love first-person shooters and blood and guts and gore. I love this game. I thought it was fantastic, you know, as I've mentioned, and it's because it was intelligent. You know, it wasn't just blow things up, get to the checkpoint. You actually have to, you know, have to figure out how to get to the checkpoint and so on and so forth. Uh, the trial and error was both loved and hated. I think that uh, Odyssey had some marks taken off because it didn't have a quick save feature because the trial and error system was so difficult. Now Exodus did put the trial and error system in there and it kind of made that feel a lot better because, you know, you could do half of the, the puzzle that you knew was right, then quick save, and then it would load up at the quick save point rather than the checkpoint. The game is hard with no way of changing difficulty, but I think that worked for the better because it made you think on your feet better, you know, it was, it, it heightened your sense of, of playing, so to speak. And because of this game, uh, more studios realized that there was a market for side-scrolling games and puzzle games and platform games, so, you know, they all had a resurgence in popularity at that time. But as far as I'm concerned, this is a 10 out of 10 game. Uh, I can say very few bad things about it. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I think that the plotline is good, the character development is good, you know, it's made, the game is made for people who like to think, and it's not all blood, blood guts, gold, and sex, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a good game, it's a, it's the equivalent of, I guess you could say, handing somebody a crossword puzzle, you know, and trying to figure it out, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good game, it's a great game for those who like to think, uh, it's a very, very coherent and good story in an incoherent universe, I mean, you know, it's like everybody's out, it's kill or be killed, Yet you were very, very intelligent on in how you navigate that so that you were neither killed nor necessarily killing anyone. Uh, our hero, Abe, goes from reluctant hero to Mudokan leader over the space of two games. Not in a, well, I, I am now the hero that everybody deserves. It was kind of very, very gradual across both games. In game one, it's, what am I going to do? I have to save everybody, but I don't know how. And then at the end of game two, he's like, I know there are more of my people out there, and we're going to find them, every last one of them, and bring them home. You know, and to me, that was like, oh, oh, right in the, you know, right in the heart, right in the fields, because, you know, he did grow. He, he went from cowardly, scaredy, to reluctant leader, to leader, you know, and very few video game characters have that level of growth. I mean, look at Mario. Mario is just the same one-dimensional character. Sonic is just the same one-dimensional character. Crash Bandicoot is a pawn that is being used by other people by their one-dimensional characters. Abe had some depth to, depth to his character. And he did these things because they were the right thing to do for his people rather than, 
oh, look, I need, I got to save my girlfriend and she loved me, or, you know, what, whatever else it was. The pacing from both games is very, very good, too. Uh, you don't stay in any area longer than you need to. In fact, if anything, some of the areas you don't spend long enough in, and there are a couple of areas that you do spend just a hair too long, but we're only talking, like, I don't know, maybe if an area is supposed to take an hour to complete, you maybe spend an hour and five minutes in an area, you know, before you start to realize this might be a little bit too long. But aside from that, the pacing is very, very good. Um, you stay in there for just about the right right amount of time, again, with the, with the save of maybe two areas in the whole series. And, you know, that's that's good too. That, that That's important as well. You don't outstay your welcome anywhere. And in fact, once you play Exodus, when you're playing Exodus for... A long gameplay, and you are in Soulstorm Brewery. Finally, you don't really recall what was in Necromines at the beginning of the game because you've played it and played the areas that in between it for just about the right amount of time. You know, you just going forward and forward and forward and forward. You know, again, other games you can you you can remember level one. Now you can't really remember level one in this game, and that's not a knock. That's because the content in between is so good that now you have to have ultimate concentration when you're in this specific area. It does bridge the old-school 2D graphics with 3D graphics, and I think, you know, it kind of... it They were good graphics for what it was. I mean, good graphics for the PlayStation. you got to understand that the PS1 wasn't known for its graphical content, or it isn't known for its graphical content today. I mean, look at the original Lara Crofts. You know, they, they were square and, you know, so on and so forth. Now we have, you know, facial recognition and stuff like that, but back then we didn't. Abe, you know, used a lot of curves in his body. Um, you know, r real Madokans have curves. Uh, but, you know, lo lots of cir circular shapes, or ob uh, not oblong, oval shapes, I guess we can say. Those were kind of rare back then. I mean, 1997 was not the great year for graphics. I mean, look, I'm a big fan of the Elder Scrolls series. I've mentioned this before. Look at 2002 on the Xbox, which, you know, which was the successor to the PS1 in terms of generation, which, you know, it's a successor to, the, the, there's no, you know, it was the first Microsoft system before any of the fanboys start yelling at me, but what I mean by that is it was the next generation, so you had PS1, and then you had PS2 and Xbox. Look at the graphics on the Elder Scrolls Morrowind. Then look at the graphics of Abe. It's hard to tell if they were on different systems several years apart, in different generations, you know, because again, graphics were not the sole concern of games back then, it was more the gameplay itself. Now, I know a lot of people will say if a game is graphically incompetent, it takes them out, but then again, this is such a fantasy world, everybody could look like a potato, and it wouldn't matter, you know? The good thing about both of these games is that uh, they either have been or will be remade at some point. Right now, I'm planning on doing some Let's Plays of uh, New and Tasty is what it's called, and it's basically a remake of Odyssey. And it was built from the ground up, you know, it was new depth of the game, a new engine. Uh, they increased the number of Mudokans from 99 to 299. So kind of, you know, giving it similar similar uh, thing as what Exodus had in the original. Uh, it added in difficulty changes, so you could go through it on the baby steps, or you could go through it as, you know, Nerdballer 101. Uh, the graphics were better, it does add a quick save, and it does have certain things that weren't in the original. Like, for example, Abe always has, like, a bottle cap or a rock or something in his pocket. So, you know, it changes up a lot of things right there and then. Uh, if you guys are on PC, it's available via Steam. It was also released on PS3, PS4, PS Vita, the Wii U, iOS, which is rare, and the Xbox One. As of recording... They are making a remake of Soulstorm, which is supposed to be different from the original Exodus. The story's the same, but the gameplay is different. Uh, that's supposed to be released anytime between the time I'm speaking right now and 2019. These two games were my personal favorite games of all time. Absolutely, hands down, the ones I got the most enjoyment out of. Uh, that was until Skyrim was released. I think one of the reasons I love these games so much is it brought me closer to one of my brothers. Uh, not say we were estranged or anything like that i mean you know we were kids but at the same time you know this is something we both enjoyed we both lashed onto. um i remember a couple of years ago he challenged me to play these games uh see if i could save all 400 mudokans you know and i did and it was fun doing that it was it was absolutely fun doing that and i remembered why i liked these games in the first place these two games did bring a renewed interest in uh puzzle games 
in uh, modern times, you know, where you have to stealth and sneak and figure things out. And before you say, well, that's not true, I've got one word for you. Portal. I mean, in my opinion, the Portal games wouldn't have been made without the success of Oddworld and similar games like that. Because you do have to use trial and error with Portal. You do have to get from one end of the room to the other end of the room and, you know, figure it out. And I think that, you know, an Oddworld is a big, big reason as to why the games became as popular as they did. Now, obviously, the gun where you can jump from one player room to the other was also important too, but I don't think the game would have been made without the success of something like Oddworld. So this week, for social media, let me ask you this question. What video game do you really, really love and enjoy, but it's underrated? Meaning that, you know, it's a damn good game, but only you like it. Very few people you know like it, and the critics kind of overlook it, even though it's a good game. Hit me up on social media and let me know, and I will read out some of the best ones next week. Destination Wembley Stadium, London, April 18th, 1993. It's a beautiful day in London, England, where the Arsenal take on Sheffield Wednesday to determine the winner of the 1992-93 Coca-Cola Rumbelow's Milk Cup. Here we have the captains, Tony Adams from Arsenal and Wednesday's own Viv Anderson. They shake hands with each other there, as well as Mr. Alan Gunn, official from Sussex. And after eight minutes of play, the American John Hawks opens the score for Sheffield Wednesday. But goals from man of the match Paul Merson and young midfielder Steve Morrow bring the Capital One Worthington Carling Cup back to London for the first time in five years. And yes, we're waiting on the trophy celebration right now. The Arsenal players and staff take to the field and bask in the adulation of their fans who made an arduous 11-mile journey to see their team become champions. And look, there is youth team coach Pat Rice alongside defender Martin Keogh, ineligible for today's game. And behind them is the captain. Tony Adams celebrated with match winner Morrow and he's gonna hoist them on his shoulders and... Oh dear. Um... I, I, he, did he just drop him? He dropped him on the floor? What the, uh, My word, this is... Uh, um... Uh, <clears throat> well, this is a heartbreaking moment, ladies and gentlemen. We have the ambulance men out there administering the oxygen and it's a very, very sad sight. For today's hero is going to be carted off the field on a stretcher as opposed to collecting his medal with his colleagues in front of 70,000 adoring fans. Mr. Morrow, our thoughts and our prayers are with you, but Arsenal raised the trophy on high! Now, decades later, we have several things that we know about this incident. Mr. Morrow, for example, in spite of his broken arm and dislocated shoulder, was fit enough in August to start the 1993-94 Premier League season. And despite all the hyperbole surrounding the day, Adams did not drop Morrow. Rather, when he hoisted Morrow up, they slipped, causing the pair to fall to the ground. Mr. Morrow was presented with his winner's medal for this game, one month later at the FA Cup Final, where the Arsenal played... Sheffield Wednesday, again. And again. Mr. Morrow also became the answer to many quiz questions, with his medal presentation being the only man in history to be presented with a winner's medal before a final game. This unfortunate incident in the life of the Northern Irishman is mostly what he's remembered for. However, being a good sport, he has parodied the incident on several occasions. Mr. Morrow, we salute you. Okay, guys, that's almost it for this week. Again, you can tell the difference between voices. Um, you know, like I said, I record these things on separate days, and I had a lot of time this weekend. And so instead of, you know, jumping on and recording when I had the time, I decided to wait until the last minute when my voice is pretty much gone. Um, I want to give you guys an update on the Movember Drive, my own personal health. Um, all the well wishes that we've received. Uh, I can't thank you guys enough. We're still looking to, you know, get the donations up, and we're still looking to, you know, hit our target. I don't think we're going to hit 250 bucks, but, you know, again, we're personally throwing in 25 bucks, and we're hoping you guys can stump up with, you know, something, anything. Uh, I know I haven't given an update on my mustache. Um, to be honest, the last couple of weeks, again, I've been so hectic. Um, but don't worry, by the time you see this podcast, by the time you listen to this podcast, uh, before I release the podcast, I'll be, you know, making sure that you guys can see my face. Uh, on a personal note, I want to thank everybody who's given me some feedback with the video I posted a couple of weeks ago, The Man Up. Um, again, I've said before and I say it again, I want to take that phrase back. And it doesn't mean, you know, just bury everything. It means standing up and admitting that there's something not right. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I went to the doctor, as I mentioned in the video, and I've got an appointment this week to speak with someone and, you know, just start going through, working through 
the reasons why I'm so damn miserable. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I want to thank my wife, and I want to thank my kids for standing by me. Um, it's been hell. It really, really has. And that's one of the reasons why I'm doing Movember, is because I want to bring awareness to this. I want more and more people talking. Look, I understand there are a lot of people out there who think that, you know, men are scum of the earth. And we are. You know, there is a huge... I mean, you got to go flip on the news right now and see how scummy that, that, that my people are. You know, and... There are a lot of people out there who are living with personal demons that they are not, um, they're not getting help for. And they don't know that they can get help for because they think that they're weak if they ask for help, which is so stupid, you know. I mean, admitting that you need help takes a heck of a lot of strength. And that's what, that's what I'm looking for. That's one of the reasons why I jumped on that project. So, you know, we're going to go ahead and make our donation. I'm going to go show you the old push broom. And, you know, guys, donate. If you can't donate, grow the facial hair and get other people to donate on your behalf. Because, again, this is important. This, this, this is, you know, an epidemic, for lack of a better term. I, just, I know it's not, but, I mean, you know, it's, it's a big problem. It's a huge problem. And some of our brightest uh, going by the wayside because they can't, they don't realize that it's okay to not be okay, if that makes sense. So, uh, also, if you guys are on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, you get to see me with the old push broom, you know, and, uh, you know, we look forward to seeing you on there. Please like and share our pages if you are on there. This week's social media question is, what is your most favorite underrated game of all time? A game that uh, you like, Maybe the critics like, but very few people you know have actually played or like it. I want to hear those things. Next week, we go to one of the episodes that was going to be the original debut. Um, after I recorded it, I realized it just wasn't funny. And I also realized that it was way too serious. And, you know, it was very, very heavy for a very, very first episode. So I thought I'd bury it somewhere after I got a little bit more comfortable. Uh, it's called Celebrity Injustice. Uh, we're going to be looking over some of the things that uh, celebrities did in the 90s that were brought into the public domain uh, in terms of crime and stuff that was very, very illegal and immoral. For example, we're going to look at the O.J. Simpson trial. We're going to look at the uh, Tony Harden assault on Nancy Kerrigan. We're going to look at Robert Downey Jr. We're going to look at a whole bunch of, of folks who um, had trouble with the law and how that has affected us as a society and how we, we react to things now. But that's next week. I want to thank you guys for listening this week. Hopefully my voice will be up to snuff and we will have a good time. Thanks very much for listening, guys. You have a great day.